0: Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground podcast. This is episode 116, A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Question of God. I'm Reed Monahan, broadcasting live, well, live for me from the worldwide headquarters of the Gospel Underground here in Blacksburg. Virginia, man, it's good to be with you guys today. I'm here solo again. I've got a fun episode planned for you today. We would we had hoped to be had launched our series on human embodiment by now, but we've kind of had some really good episodes to throw in here and there, and to be honest, I've been doing research. Let me show you this. I get a stack of books so I'm not an idiot on some topics. So I've got uh, you know, Love My Body, Piercy, What It Means to Be Human, Embodied by Greg Allison, all kinds of fun stuff here uh, in the research queue. We're actually prepared to launch that series, but Jesse's family's been a little under the weather, and so we decided to wait a few more days to get on that next week. And so today, um I'm kind of fired up, man. I've had a good week. It's been a been been a profound week for our family. My son Thomas uh, was baptized on Sunday. He kind of made a commitment uh, and said, hey, it's time. I need to take that step to publicly profess my faith in Jesus and to identify uh, with the Lord's covenant promises, right, to, to his people. Uh, by being buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Now, that's my third kid. Uh, my daughters were baptized roughly around 12 years old. Up in, uh, as my friend Ted Stark, shout out Ted, said, uh, the New Jersey Swamp Lake where uh, Ted was baptized as well as my daughters. We, there was a state park where we used to do baptism. And uh, <laughs> one year, like I guess the bathrooms at the park, sewage backed up into uh, the lake. But we were out of there by then. Uh, <laughs> thank God for that. but So Tommy was baptized. Um, I'm speaking again this evening at Washington and Lee University at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship where my daughter is a second year student. I'm doing a two-part thing there. I did one last week and then this week on a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Question of God. So I'm going to share with you guys some of the things I'll be sharing with the uh, college students tonight. It's a Kind of a fun little message that I've developed years ago and evolved over time uh, just to share with young people who might be searching or questioning. So, embodiment it is coming, uh, but not quite it's not yet, but today not I do have a little discussion. It, so sit right back. Reviewish is back, <laughs> because I'm having technological challenges that are... Giving right me a little now. bit of a headache today. I was wondering if I was going to be able to get technology off the ga- ground. So review-ish, a couple things. Um, some of you know from either my Twitter or uh, f- previous podcasts that I'm making a massive uh, switch in life where I'm actually going to use a computer that has fruit on it, like a piece of fruit on the back, an Apple MacBook Pro. I ordered it, gosh, almost a month ago. Been slow coming, and I also ordered a new external screen, like right up here. I'm looking at one. Um, my other external screen was about five years old, and so I wanted to get something real crisper, a little nicer, a little smaller too. I mean, this is a 24-incher that I'm looking at. This is the LG Ultrafine 4K monitor. Well, my review-ish of it, it's one, it's the best-looking monitor I've ever seen. Uh, looking at the quality of the screen, but at the same time, it's a little frustrating because I'm I'm using a still using a Microsoft Surface Pro, uh, kind of tablet laptop hybrid that I've had for a little over three years, and apparently, uh, this LG uh, monitor is a little snobby. It it won't take signals unless you have some monster driving technology. Obviously, when you're plugging things in, you got to know if it's HDMI. You can't plug HDMI to this. It's all Thunderbolt three or USB C. And apparently, there's nothing that that I can do to make this Service Pro work with that. So, and, and uh, I'm waiting on that MacBook Pro, which apparently, I guess they're off in shipping containers off the coast of uh, California, Long Beach, uh, where no ships can come home apparently. Uh, but I do suspect that that laptop will be here within a week. And guys, I have a lot to share with you as I go through a technologically frustrating times after being a DOS and a Windows 3, Windows 3.1, Windows 95 on all the windows that have come that in Windows 11, which is a little bit glitchy on Zoom with using the Zoom app right now on my laptop. I will be switching to Mac OS. I do want, if you're a friendly person and not a Mac worshiper, obnoxious person, I don't like those kind of people, man, like the religious Apple people, right? They think, oh, you finally arrived. I was like, no, I finally got a got a MacBook because the 20-hour battery life and it's finally a lot faster and superior technology. It's the only reason. But if you are a friendly Apple fruit computer person and you'd like to give me tips if you've made a similar switch from a long three decades for me using PCs, uh, I used to teach programming on a Mac. It's a TA, undergrad TA in you know, an intro to programming class at UNC. It was old Macs though, right? It wasn't uh, what anything like we have today. So I'm making that switch. If you've got any tips, pointers, anything, let me know, and I would love to learn from you. Well, guys, today uh, I want to talk to you about uh, – this. this would be helpful to you perhaps – If you're listening to the podcast and maybe you're interested in the question of God, maybe you're not sure what you believe about God or Jesus, and a friend kind of recommended this to you. Or maybe you're like me, you're a follower of Jesus, but you care about your skeptical friends and you care about helping others along the journey, so to speak, to understand the gospel, the good news of of Jesus Christ, and even why Right, the question whether God is real really matters. And so, um, I've I've always looked at my own spiritual journey. If you guys look back to I think episode uh, I don't know, one fourteen, I think maybe no, one thirteen, uh my friend Mike Exen was on here and we talked about the, the time when he met me and introduced me to Jesus Christ and my little bit of my testimony. Well, but after um coming to faith, I had all sorts of questions. And so obviously the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Question of God, that's a little takeoff on um you know Douglas Adams' radio drama, book, movie, British comedy franchise, A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where you know an intergalactic freeway is being put through the Earth, and they're going to blow up the Earth, and this guy goes on this journey to try to try to stop it. But um, so it's a little bit of a knockoff of that. I do think life is much more like a journey than just asking questions, and so you ask questions um, on a road, and so um, life isn't a thought experiment or just thinking. It's living, it's loving, it's interacting while we have questions. And I think the question of God is one of the most important. And so if you're listening to me today, I want to encourage a few things. First of all, uh, any hitchhiker, uh, worth their salt, right? Has a few striking characteristics, right? They're a little bit bold. Today, hitchhiking is a little out of vogue. Uh, generation before mine, you know, my high school wrestling coach hitchhiked from New Jersey to the University of Virginia to go to college. You know, hey, throw a bag on and going to play football and wrestle and I'm just going to hitchhike to UVA a little different, right? Today, that's a little bit scary, We're worried about somebody driving up with a white van or something and doing something bad to us. But hitchhiking is pretty adventurous. But so if you are uh, want to be a hitchhiker to ask questions about, is God real? Um, I want to give you two principles that I think matter to be a good hitchhiker on the question. God. First of all, it's an open mind. I'm concerned many times people might be closed minded, maybe because of their upbringing. Maybe they grew up secular. Maybe they grew up and they're rejecting their kind of certain kind of Christianity that they saw as a kid. You need an open mind, right? Um, if you feel like you're closed off to the question of God, I want to at least ask you why is that? And then maybe open up to the possibility, right, that that God might be the realest real that there is. So open an open mind. And secondly, to be a good hitchhiker of the question of God, you need an open road. In other words, you need to be able to ask the question, if God is real, then what? And so for me, these two questions, is God real, right? Um, And and my answer to that is a a resounding, I, I believe that with all my heart, that God is real. And then secondly, has God ever shown up? Because that gets into the question of like, um, okay, there's a creator, or there's an ultimate source of goodness, or there's a divine spark plug in the sky. Uh, it's much different to identify the deity, so to speak, in a real personal way, and that's where I really encountered the person of Jesus. So t- today I want you to think, is God real, right, and has God ever shown up in a significant way as we look at Jesus of Nazareth now I'm going to structure this question is God real uh, with four questions there's many people in time in history have asked these kind of existential experience experiential kind of questions that matter about our existence right and I I didn't do this on purpose but when I came out with these four questions they they turned out to be omg hope so you can say this like a teenage girl if you like um my daughter got a kick out of that she goes dad you didn't do omg hope i was like yeah i did apparently uh origin meaning goodness right and then hope, origin, where do we come from? Meaning, what makes life meaningful? Is it just uh, a meaningless bumping of atoms and then you're dead? Hallelujah, amen, there's nothing more. Meaning, goodness, right? We've done a whole series of podcasts, I won't labor that today on the the problem of goodness. Is goodness real if it is, if there's such a thing as goodness and morality and justice? Um, that begs the question of from whence does that come? And then finally hope, how do we look to the future with a sense of hope and not just a sense of foreboding um, or anxiety that we could have strong confidence about the future in a significant way. And so question of origin is, is interesting to me uh, because my conversion to Christianity happened almost simultaneously while I was doing the first couple years of a bachelor's of science in physics. Now, I did not finish a physics degree. I did three years of a physics degree and had a, a professor named Sean Washburn who asked a group of us, hey, do you guys want to be physicists? And we weren't sure of that. He goes, hey, we have a new applied sciences department. You guys could hop into all your classes, go over. Because in three years, I was just, I think, advanced quantum mechanics and maybe one thermodynamics class from finishing the physics degree. Um, So I hopped over to an applied science degree with an emphasis in computer science, hardware, software, and took a minor in physics. But my conversion right, was happening at the time I was studying what I call the hard sciences, as opposed to the soft sciences of of the humanities per se, mathematically-based sciences, or as physics people would say, the only real science. Um, And so one of the things that helped me with the question of God is looking at the origin of the universe, you see, in the 20th century, the discipline of cosmology, right, where did the cosmos and the universe come from, are studying the far reaches of both the universe currently and its distant past. Uh, cosmology greatly confirmed that the past or time is finite. You, you, you guys don't realize this probably, but before the, the idea of the Big Bang, you know, a lot of times people say, well, I don't like the Big Bang. Well, the Big Bang is a very theistic idea. The Big Bang actually looked at certain shifts in the electromagnetic spectrum, certainly in the in the the electromagnetic spectrum lane of red light and, and saw something called a red shift and i won 't get into the physics of it too much, but it shows an expansion which leading back po- pointed to kind of like this primordial explosion in other words there was a there was an expansion of space time back into what you call a singularity that you know Scientists like to say like 13.77 billion years ago, the universe exploded into being. Well, if there is a time equals zero, okay? And if you're going to date the universe in any certain way, you're saying there is a time equals zero, the, the, the first moment of the Big Bang, so to speak. In light of that idea that time began, this begs a strong question, right? About the origins of the universe, now we we read the Bible and we come across in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. Well, uh, science and philosophy, I think, strongly confirm the testimony of Scripture that there is indeed a beginning. And of course, from my perspective, that begs the question of a first cause, a first mover. An Aristotelian thought, uh, a first cause, and thinkers throughout history have uh, wrestled with this, that if something begins to exist, right, we ask questions about what caused it. If I were to be sitting here um, and all of a sudden this coffee cup, I'm actually drinking some, some, some iced coffee today. I don't know why I was free in a parking lot I got my haircut this morning. If, if um, Space Rabbits, a food truck coffee, um, if I were to see this pop into existence on my table from nothing, right? Like, boom, all of a sudden a coffee cup. I am right scientifically, philosophically, <laughs> commonsensically to ask why. Why did that happen? I would ask for what caused it, what what initial conditions led to the popping into existence of this coffee. And here with the universe, we're talking about the beginning of everything, right? Before which there was quite literally no thing or what we would say metaphysical nothing or what aristotle said nothing is that which rocks dream about if that's the case we are right to ask for a cause for the beginning and i do think that asks and begs the question the question of god obviously the bible teaches us in the beginning god created origins It's very close to the idea of a creator. Secondly, uh, OMG Hope, uh, meaning is life meaningless. You see, there was a great uh, shift for a lot of thinkers when they started saying, well, maybe there are no deities, there's no God, there's no purpose, there's no meaning. Um, Writers like Beckett uh, writing Waiting for Godot, this kind of theater of the absurd, right? There's two dudes waiting for some person named Godot, they don't know why, they're just there waiting. It seems like it's an absurd operation, and if you track that out to life, right, um, what are we doing here? I don't know. We're just here. Uh, Life uh, becomes absurd if there's really no meaning to it. Now, Jean-Paul Sartre, existentialist, playwright, philosopher, uh, 20th century, wrote things like uh, Nausea, uh, the other work No Exit, where he kind of looks at just this absurdity and emptiness uh, of life of what we've discovered. Wow, we're just bumping atoms, coming from nowhere, going nowhere. We're all going to be dead. Why are we doing any of this? Uh, The universe doesn't give a rip about us. What what is the meaning of it all? Or or certain comedic uh, treatments of it like... Uh, Doug Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where, you know, on his long journey, we find out this, you know, the universe is being run by two mice. And when the question of the meaning of life and everything else, what is the answer to that comes out? The answer turns out to be, for those of you who know, 42. What does that mean? Well, it's meaningless. Uh, We don't really see. But Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, in his... um, in his book *Nausea*, this is a compilation of two quotes that Tim Keller puts together in his book uh, *The Reason for God: Belief in an Age of Skepticism*. Jean-Paul Sartre says, "It was true. I had always realized that that I hadn't any right to exist at all. I had appeared by chance." Now we got to watch when people say stuff happens by chance, right? Chance is a is a description of probability or outcomes. Chance is impotent; it has no causal power can't do anything, but I had appeared by chance. I existed like a stone, a plant, a microbe. I could feel nothing to myself, but an inconsequential buzzing. I was thinking that here we are eating and drinking to preserve our precious existence and that there's nothing, nothing, absolutely no reason for existence. Now, nobody can live life that way. It's pretty depressing, right? Uh, Let's all go jump off the Brooklyn Bridge. But the modern world, in light of that, has then said, well, maybe there is no meaning to life. I'll have to create it, right? Maybe I'll like the Pittsburgh Steelers or quantum mechanics or politics. And we find tribal meanings, right, localized meanings that we generate for ourselves, the only problem is that you better not know that ultimately it's all ridiculous meaninglessness all the way down. Sean Carroll, a physicist from Caltech who wrote a book in 2016 called The Big Picture. Sean Carroll has a podcast called The Mindscape Podcast that I listen to not weekly but pretty you know, Whenever there's an interesting looking thing, I listen to Sean Carroll a lot. I do that because I consider him an intelligent atheist and also a smug one. He's kind of cocky. He thinks his philosophical naturalism is true all the way up and down, and so he's just he's smarter than you. Um, but it's just a fascinating podcast because he does have smart people talking about different things. Um, we'll review an episode of that next time for you. But he wrote a book called The Big Picture. And in this book, he's trying to deal with uh, life and meaning and our place in the universe from a, per, a perfectly no-God, philosophically naturalism worldview. And he says this, We humans are blobs of organized mud, <laughs> which through the impersonal, right, don't care about you, workings of nature's patterns have developed the capacity to contemplate and cherish and engage with the intimidating complexity of the world around us. The meaning we find in life is not transcendent, right? Okay, so I don't know. There's a lot of moral and value language in this, but like, hey, we can contemplate. Think about, cherish, love, and engage with what the intimidating... I don't know why it's intimidatingly complex, but I guess it is to some people to to aggrandize the universe. The meaning we find ain't out there. The meaning has to be generated, created, or whatever. That's kind of the... The idea. So there's no purpose, get over it, but maybe fill your lives with local meaning. Well, of course, that meaning might infringe on someone else's, like Pittsburgh Steelers, Dallas Cowboys fans, or even more, like uh, global conflict. Uh, So we're left scratching our heads for what we're even doing. Why? We might even say, hey, live for the common good. But many people would ask, why is that? Why should I choose to do that? why don't I live for my good if I'm living for my meaning? The common good is no good to us if we have no good in common. Refer back to the series we did this past year on uh, meaning and the good uh, and the scientific quest to understand the good from a perspective of no God. We can't say there is a common good if we have no good in common. Now, there are two clues, I think, and I think C.S. Lewis was very helpful in in this line of thinking, we do have two clues to meaning or what makes life meaningful. The first one is love, right? Relationship. We're made to love and be loved. This seems central to human beings. Uh, This is extended in in the Christian tradition to being loved by God, right? Uh, The universe, we could say, is either personal or impersonal. Uh, And if the centrality of love is a pointer to life and meaning, uh, it seems like the universe is not, as Sean Carroll would say, impersonal mud, uh, but a personal place in reality filled with persons and places and people to love. Second clue for meaning, first one, love is worship that all of us worship, right? Uh, We worship sports teams. We worship money. We worship, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend. Uh, rock star celebrities, movie stars, our favorite politicians people get caught up in this stuff man uh, this is this is partially uh, God's design He made us uh, to be completed by worship right but also com- complicated by our sinfulness that we worship the wrong stuff right We worship money and people and things and poly- and then it just turns into a mess it twists our own heart right? And that if we were made to worship God, this is a great clue to the meaning of our existence. Maybe we were made for that. And C.S. Lewis was great in saying how worship used to bother him, right? It's like, ah, why does this God demand our worship? What is he, lonely? He's selfish? What is it? But in realizing that worship, our delight in something, like when you go see your football team win, right? Uh, when I see Manchester United not suck, they suck really bad right now. But when I see them win, it feels great, right? That the worship of something completes the experience for us and gives us a sense of fulfillment. And the Bible says that God delights, right, in the praises of his people, love and worship. I think these are clues to meaning. Our desire for meaning, transcendent meaning, which human beings seem to be uh, quite caught up with all over all over time in history, meaning itself is a clue to the question of God. So origin, uh, meaning. And then third, OMG, goodness, right, goodness. I won't labor this here on the podcast because we did multiple episodes on the importance of goodness. Our modern world is very much suffering because we have no agreement on what is objectively good and evil, but yet we still care about it, and so we demonize one another. We go crazy on each other. An interesting fact from history that I'll bring up here is that – you guys are familiar with Google, right? I'm old enough. I guess I'm older, middle middle age now. I'm old enough to remember a pre-Google world. I like the post-Google world where you can ask questions to a uh, software algorithm that can search, you know, all this indexed information and give you answers. Some, some things you Google get good answers. Sometimes you don't. We still need people to actually know what they're talking about in the world and not just saying, oh, I found this on the Internet, on the Google, or on the Twitter, right, or on the Facebook. Lord, help us. But before Google, it was, you know, you had to get a book or go to the library to learn things, right? And so the interesting thing about Google, though, I'm not going to comment just on their technology, but one of the founders of Google was named Sergey Brin. The other one was named Larry Page. And they had a mantra early on. It's not shared as much anymore, but early on, one of Google's guiding principles, part of their culture was, don't be evil, now, they were coming out of the, you know, Microsoft getting sued and Microsoft being a technological evil empire, I think, and they were kind of stick it to the man, small startup kind of ethos. But there was an interesting thing that uh, happened over time. Somebody actually asked um, them a question, right? This was uh, uh, an interview in Wired magazine um, in 2003. It was called Google versus evil. And um CEO at the time, Eric Smith, was asked, right, what being evil was. And his reply was very candid, very honest, is whatever Sergey says is evil. <laughs> now, this reveals to us a, a, an important clue that we do care about good and evil, and that's, I think, designed by God. But it also reveals uh you know another problem who gets to say right who is right in the world is it really up to sergey uh is it up to you is it up to me is is whatever Sergey says is evil is evil and and let me just make this uh cautious cautious um qualification unless Sergey is God, we have a massive problem on our hands right uh our Our obsessive reality, knowing the world is broken, that there's some evil going down, it needs to be fixed. We need to, what, change the world, right? This is the thought of every generation. Nobody thinks, eh, it's just perfect just the way it is. What's behind this question? I do think it's a clue to the question of God. In fact, um, we realize that the world should be different, that it ought to be different. And I I love a quote by G.K. Chesterton Uh, here uh, from his book orthodoxy he said my haunting instinct was that somehow good right was not merely a tool to be used but a relic to be guarded something precious like the goods from crusoe's ship even that had been a wild whisper of something originally wise for according to christianity we were indeed survivors of a wreck the crew of a golden ship that had gone down before the beginning. You see, the question of God when you come to this idea of why is the world so broken, but we see such wonderful goodness everywhere, all around. Uh, Chesterton compares it to a shipwreck, and that we realize that what could have been what once was was lost, paradise lost. And that the reality is we do need fixing and redemption. Now, that makes no sense from a philosophical naturalism point of view. What is up or down? What is getting better? What is good? We're just atoms bumping in energy. There is no transcendent cause or meaning, no transcendent morality. Check with Sean Carroll. He'll tell you this. And in light of that, how do we come out of this uh, bog of nothingness? Well, perhaps the good is real. And if that's the case, it does show a strong clue and pointer in the question of God. The Bible says that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. I find that to be true uh, description of reality. So, origin, meaning, goodness, OMG. And then finally, hope. This is a quote, a long quote, uh, that's from uh, a, an author named Blaise Pascal. Pascal wrote a book in French. It was titled Pensées, that my, basically thinking or my thoughts. Um, He was a brilliant mathematician, but also a philosopher who converted, right, to Christianity. And I think this quote has always haunted me a bit because it kind of, uh, it's an old work, I think 17th century work, um, but it's so relevant to every age of human experience, even more so in our day of YouTube and uh, Facebook, Instagram, all the distractions we have and the gazillions of uh, channels and streaming services and all the things that we have. Um, The question of God matters Because it has a lot to do, right, with uh, our confidence as we look towards the future and hope. And let, let, let the words of Pascal challenge you here deeply. He says, I know not who put me in the world. Uh, Could be chance, (laughs) nor what the world is, nor what I myself am. I am in terrible ignorance of everything. I know not what my body is, nor my senses, nor my soul, not even the part of me which thinks what I say, which reflects all, on all and on itself, consciousness and knows itself no more than the rest. I see those frightful spaces of the universe which surround me, and I find myself tied to one corner of this vast expanse without knowing why I am put in this place rather than another, nor why the short time which is given to me that's been assigned to me at this point rather than at another, in the whole of eternity which was before me and will come after me, I see nothing but infinites on all sides which surround me as a mere atom and as a shadow which endures only for an instant and returns no more. All that I know is that I must soon die. But what I know least of is this very death which I cannot escape. As I know not from where I come and I know not whither I go, I know only that in leaving this world I will fall forever into annihilation, right nothingness, or into the hands of an angry God, without knowing to which of these states I shall be forever assigned, such is my state full of weakness and uncertainty. And from all this, and guys, please, just hear this, hear this, feel this. And from all this, I conclude that I ought to spend all the days of my life without caring to inquire into what must happen to me. Perhaps I might find some solution to my doubts, but I will not take the trouble nor take a step to seek it. And after treating with scorn those who are concerned with this care, I will go without foresight and without fear to try that great event and let myself led, be led carelessly to death, uncertainty of my eternal and future state. He's like, hey man, maybe I could find a solution uh, to the future because the future, right, has death involved in it for us, right? Uh, we're gonna die. Perhaps I could look into that. He goes like, nah, let's just play video games or let's just watch some more TV. Uh, let's 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 make some more money. Hey, uh, you, we got new money. We got bitcoins now. Let's stay perpetually distracted, full of emptiness, and not reflecting on. The question of God, our lives, and eternity. Many wise people from the past, both uh, recent past, uh, like like business books that say begin with the end in mind, right? Hey, figure out the end and then head on on a journey. Or Søren Kierkegaard, the Danish existential philosopher that said life is best understood backwards and then lived forwards, the question of hope, the question of future, the question of destiny is very vital to the human being. So, origin, what is the origin of universe and intelligent life, my life? Meaning, does it have any meaning at all? Or is it just a big farcical joke uh, that we're going to And the answer to the meaning of life and everything else is 42 Goodness, what is good? How ought we to live? What is the source of goodness, truth and beauty? Why am I bound to do the good and shun evil? Well who says that, right? Sergey Brin? Hope, what is the end of my life? Just try to make money, be happy, dead, gone, forgotten. One of the shocking things the Old Testament is in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 says there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be amongst those who come after. Most likely in, hey, in 50 years. <laughs> Nobody, after you're dead, nobody's going to remember you. Maybe in, if you're a really big time person, maybe a few hundred years you'll last, but there's there's many people, right, from all of life that completely forgotten, never to be remembered again. Is there is your hope in that? Oh, you're going to be great and everyone will know you and you'll live on forever and posterity. Or is there a perhaps a gateway to another existence when we pass from this life to the next? Is God real? I think there are many, many good reasons to say yes. Now, here's where it gets personal. You can have an open mind to the question of God, but is the road open before you? Because if we ask the, the question, has God ever showed up, right? I want to just come right to the person of Jesus and say, who is this guy, right? Uh, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. This is from the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do the people, who do all these people say that I am? And they told him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah or one of the ancient prophets. And he asked them, and quite frankly, I think he asks us, I think I'm going to ask you, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? People love to talk about Jesus still today. He is one that has not been forgotten. Far from it, he's mentioned by almost every world religion he's he's got billions of people today that declare their allegiance to him why see the claims of Christianity. Who do the people say that I am? Well, Eastern religions would say he's a a guru, a yogi of a master of some sort, connected maybe to uh, ultimate reality and a guide maybe to enlightenment, one of many gods. Or Jesus in Scientology, you know, Tom Cruise (laughs) religion uh, would say he never really existed, but he exists as an implant and humanity's collective memory placed there by the alien being, Zenu 75 million years ago. Thank you, Tom Cruise. What about secularism? A man who lived a long time ago, kind of a religious nut job, who taught some good things, was a little zealous, believed too much into the world, got himself into trouble. Islam's one of the greatest prophets, second greatest prophet of Islam, remembered by all the faithful, but improperly worshipped by uh, what would be known as the infidel. Uh, Jesus today of... What I call new Gnosticism or popular uh, popular pop psychology pop uh, scholarship, uh, like the da vinci code dan brown 's book about jesus i 'm extremely powerful man it was most misconstrued in all history. My royal bloodline extends through my wife, who represents sacred feminine goddess. Uh, into French Merovingian kings and secretly preserved to this day by a secret society known as the Priory of Sion. That's Dan Brown's uh, fictional account of Jesus or South Park, right? Long-running shows. <laughs> it's amazing to me how long shows like The Simpsons and South Park have last. South Park Jesus, right? Fighting Satan and Santa Claus on a TV talk show set, kind of like a old Jerry Springer show. Uh, is that who Jesus is? Bart Ehrman, who's an agnostic, I don't know if he's a a hardcore atheist, but he's an agnostic, not a Christian at all, professor of New Testament at my alma mater, UNC Chapel Hill. He wrote a book uh, uh, engaging with some of the false history presented by the Da Vinci Code book and movie. And he said this, it is always easy for someone, anyone to come up with a speculative, you know, make it up, sensationalist claim about Jesus. Jesus was married. Jesus had babies. Jesus was a magician. Jesus was a Marxist. Jesus was an armed revolutionary. Jesus was gay. Jesus once asked his friends, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You see, the gospel is not merely, right, um, about answering a question about God. It's knowing the heart of God. You see, the God that created all things and gives human life meaning and purpose and ultimate reality, who is the source of goodness and calls us to a certain way of life with one another of love and worship, the one who gives us hope for eternity, right? This God stepped into the story of history. He's not just writing it as an aloof author or a world creator. He jumps into the simulation himself. God become flesh. This is who Jesus said I am. Who do you say that I am? You know what Jesus' friends and followers answered? You are the Christ, right? The chosen, anointed one of God. You are the Christ, the chosen one, the son of the living God. That the divine became a human to display to us who God is, and not only that, to reconcile us or bring us back into relationship with God. Imagine it this way. You're, you're the hitchhiker on the road asking the question of God. The road is open. You have an open mind. You've been looking at the question of God in a way that you're coming convinced that God is real. And then <laughs> you cut your thumb out, man, Then a car pulls up. Jesus is there. He opens the door and says, get in, follow, help build the kingdom. Let's get on the road. The beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the God that is stepped into the story shows up to wandering lost sheep, people, hitchhikers calls them into relationship of love and worship with himself and then says, let's get on the road. Let's involve ourselves in the mission, right? That God has for the world from every tribe, tongue, people and language, bringing a people into relationship with self to love and worship, to love and to serve people, to care for one another as God uses us to bring many hitchhikers home. That's a story guys that I hope, I hope I hope you know it's true and good and right. And I hope you know that God is indeed calling us to himself. Not simply to be a wandering lost hitchhiker forever, but to get in the game with the question of God in the person of God. Thanks for joining me here today, guys gospel underground is a podcast produced in partnership with the bonhoeffer house review us now we really mean this don't reviewish us don't say oh that was pretty good go to itunes or whatever wherever you get your podcast give us five stars write some nice things right commend us to your friends send your comments feedback or questions that you want us to take up we love doing that you want us to talk about something give it some thought maybe uh get a big big stack of books. take up here on the underground send us an email at info at gospelunderground.org. we are a dialogue taking place out on them roads in the borderlands between the church and culture and if you're hitchhiking get on in hope to see you out there friends